Hello there, welcome to the latest podcast from Suffolk Money, supported by Kingsfleet. My name's Colin Lowe. Everyone had a soft spot for the entertainer Roy Hudd. Certainly, as a child of the 1970s and 80s, he's a face I can always remember being on TV. Well, you may not have realised that Roy lived in Suffolk. And sadly, it's three years ago now since we lost him. He's gone, but his uh, wit and his charm and his humour will never be forgotten. And to help ensure that this memory lives on, a statue of Roy is being lovingly crafted at a cost of around £100,000. And it's hoped that eventually it will sit outside the wonderful Theatre Royal in Bury St Edmunds. So to find out more about the project and the fundraising campaign, Leslie Dolphin has been to meet Roy's widow, Debbie, and the man who'll create this new work of art, Sean Hedges Quinn. such a treat to be able to do this. I've used it as a great excuse to come and see uh, one of my favourite sculptors, in fact my favourite sculptor in <laughs> Suffolk, and also the wonderful Debbie Hudd, because uh, Debbie has come to Sean Hedges Quinn to get a sculpture of the lovely Roy Hudd created. So thank you, and we're standing in, uh, in uh, Sean's studio, come garage, come everything. You, and this is where all your work happens, isn't it? This is it? where it all happens, yeah. This is where it, everything I've created in the last, I don't know, 20 years comes out of this little garage or well I call it an art studio some amazing sculptures but also things I mean you, if you could look around the room there's there's an elephant over there Bobby Robson's head over there and yeah. didn't you say Debbie that's Gracie Field's skirt I walked in and I said isn't that Gracie Field's skirt and hand on the wall there and he, yes yes I mean it's just incredible I mean I'm just looking at a huge ear <laughs> We've just agreed that it must be very interesting to be inside Sean's head. Or frightening. <laughs> so, so just explain, how, first of all, how you came up with the idea of a, of a statue of Roy. Well, it came because Roy died just before the very first lockdown and I couldn't have a memorial service for him. There was only four of us at his funeral. And I just felt... Um, in, Long story short, basically, instead of a memorial which is one day and not, you can't get a venue that everybody would be able to get to, you know, you, you're limited by numbers. I thought, why not have a memorial to Roy which will be there for all the years to come? And all his friends and family can be a part of it by donating. <laughs> but yes, and they can come when it's convenient to them and have a lovely, hopefully it's going to be outside the Theatre Royal in Bury St Edmunds. And so, you know, they could come down to the beautiful Bury, have a lovely weekend there, uh, visit the theatre, visit the statue. And I just thought, yes, because it will, because Roy was one of the people, they, as well as myself, will all work towards it. Mm. And it will make them feel, hopefully, as it does me, it will make them feel a part of it. I, I'm, as someone who lives in Suffolk, uh, I'm really pleased that it's going to be in Suffolk at the Theatre Royal. Yeah. Did, was that tough? Because, I mean, he is so well-known, isn't he, mm. around the world, but across the country yes. as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, to begin with, when I first thought about it, because I, 
I was only talking to people over the phone and things, but I thought I've got to get things clear in my head before I speak to anybody if they think I'm balmy or whatever. But um, and my initial thoughts were, oh, London, because Roy was a London boy. And then I suddenly thought, it doesn't have to be. And I thought, well, London, you know, it's full of, it's an exciting place and everything, but it's full of people, tourists and everything, who don't necessarily know Roy. I wanted it to be in a place where Roy loved, which he loved being in Suffolk. We lived here 20 years next year. And um, and he loved the Theatre Royal Bury St Edmunds because he did his one-man show there. We did our show there where I interviewed him about his life. He did... We, we Together we did the 200th birthday of the theatre. We went and saw lots of things there as well. And one of his favourites was Goodnight Mr Tom, which he adored doing. I went to see it. It was so <laughs> lovely. He was made for that part. Oh, it was a part he'd wanted to do for years. Mm. And um, so many people just associated it with John Thor because of the television. And Roy said, it's going to be a tricky one to do um, if they're coming with that concept of John. Um, but he said, all I can do is, is make it my own part, which he did beautifully. And so many people came, wrote to Roy, sent him cards afterwards to say they'd seen it. And um, they said, you know, we did come with that idea of John Thor. I thought, we're not going to get anyone to top him. But they said they adored Roy's uh, interpretation of the character and he adored doing it too so, so you've got your theatre you know where you're going to put the crossed. statue and, and you asked their permission you knew you wanted a statue mm. I mean did you know what you were letting yourself in for because they, they're not cheap are they I hadn't a clue <laughs> <laughs> and once I'd sort of gone public with it I thought oh my goodness what have I done <laughs> this you can't turn back now but you know people have been amazing They've been... I've had donations of, like, £200, a fiver. It doesn't matter. You know, it's everything is a fortune to what people can afford, you know. And we are living through hard times. We all are at the moment. And I appreciate every single penny that people donate. And we did a show uh, back in May, which Sean came to, which is lovely, down in London at the um, Sondheim Theatre. And it was the Roy Hudlines. And Roy, many people will know that he did the news Hudlines for 26 years. So, do you know, all the writers, we contacted all the original writers, uh, the producers, the band, everybody came and did it for nothing. Absolutely nothing. Sir Cameron Mackintosh gave us a theatre for nothing. He paid for the staff. And it was just, I was overwhelmed by everybody's generosity. But it wasn't, I realised, somebody said to me, it's because we all loved Roy. And I was so quite emotional about that. And and it was great because we had Alison Steadman, we had um, Chris Emmett, who was with the original show all the way through, and um, John Coleshaw, who uncannily, sometimes he got Roy bang on with the voice and and that was a little bit of a tearjerker now and again but John is so kind I'd never met him before I'd met him at, uh, once for a meeting about the show and then we did the BBC uh, news good morning breakfast 
together. And so I'd only met him twice before the actual show. And his generosity, I mean, he lives up in Lancashire and he came down for this at his own expense and everything. And it was just incredible. And uh, he said he was one of my heroes. So, so now you've mentioned Sean. We said that we're in Sean's studio. Mm. So I was, uh, and I've spoken to Sean many a time in the past. So I was very excited when I heard that you'd chosen Sean to, to make the statue. Was that, I mean, was it tough to, fi to find who you were going to use? Well, I Sean's think... not listening at this moment. Oh, right, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, no, I, I, was, I think I said to you once before, Leslie, that I was going into a world which was very alien to me. I didn't know any sculptors or anything. And I, thank goodness for Google, looking at everybody thinking, well, they're marvellous and they're marvellous. And, and then I suddenly thought, I have met a sculptor when Roy unveiled the Gracie Fields uh, skull, uh, statue in Rochdale about six, seven years ago now, and Sean was there. Roy and Sean did an interview together for the local news, and they chatted, I think, for about half an hour afterwards. And I thought, that's great, because he is the one sculptor I know who has met Roy, chatted with him, and so hopefully can get a, a sense of Roy's personality and incorporate that into the statue. And then... I realised when I, I Googled him and <laughs> stalked, <me. laughs> stalked him. <laughs> and uh, for him to be a Suffolk lad as well was just, I thought, it's meant to be. It's all perfect. I mean, apart from his incredible talent yeah. i mean it's just phenomenal you know it's, so it's wonderful yeah it's, it's really exciting and how, how about you when you got that phone call from debbie well I, i'm i'm always excited to get a new commission uh, especially as somebody as well known and, and loved as roy you know uh, and the, the nice thing about roy is it's the character you know and always exciting to do someone with such a a large character, larger than life person. You know, you can you can do like you know some you know, no disrespect to MPs or anything like that, but you know they can be pretty dark. But Roy, you know, what a face, what a personality, what character, and that is the most exciting thing about this statue is the fact that I can try and bring that all across in his likeness, and that that is my aim. Can, can you remember meeting him? Because was it the unveiling of Gracie Fields? I mean, that, uh, uh, and Grace Fields was a, a friend of his as well, yeah, so that was probably yeah, just scary in itself. Yeah, no, he, he was. Uh, yeah, he was. Well, like, he's as you expect. You know, he was just. He was just so pleased to be there, and he was absolutely thrilled and honoured that he was the one chosen to uh, unveil Gracie's statue. Mm. And uh, and he met me and my wife Haley and my children were all there, and. He, he he took the time to speak to all of them. You know, we had our, our, you know a little chat, and he you know he had quite a quiet little word with the kids, and pulled that expression that he'd normally pulls in front of them and made them laugh. And uh, so I, I got a good essence of the kind of man he was. And so when Debbie called me, I thought, oh yeah, Roy, great, that'd be a, that'd be a cracking project to do, and I'm very excited to be doing it. You're listening to the Suffolk Money podcast supported by Kingsfleet. I'm with uh, Debbie Hurd. Uh, we're with Sean Hedges Quinn, who's uh, a very well-known sculptor these days. Um, and you've probably seen his Sir Alf Ramsey, his Sir Bobby Robson, his Captain Mannering. The list, the list could go on. Debbie Hurd, otherwise known by Roy Hurd as the missus as well. What, what do you think Roy would think about this? Do you know, I think he'd be quite humbled um he was very very um involved in getting together the uh, statue for max miller down in brighton 
uh, they came to Roy, the Max Miller Society, saying, oh, Roy, we've... Because he was patron of it. And they said, oh, Roy, we've been raising this money, but we've, we seem to have come to a halt. So Roy can you help? So Roy went through his address book and he wrote by hand, as Roy always did, to everybody in his address book, old address books and new, just in case it was still living. And, uh, yeah, and he just pleaded with everybody... And he, you know, so he was thrilled at that and thought, well, that's wonderful that, you know, he felt that Max should be immortalised. And I think he'd be a bit, oh, don't be so silly, you know. <laughs> but at the same time, underneath it, he'd be so chuffed. <laughs> we've, we've already been talking, you've brought photos for Sean to have yes. a look at. Do you know how you want him to look? Uh, what sort of statue you want? Yes, well, Roy was definitely one of the people. That's why I don't want him on a plinth, because that makes him untouchable. But Roy was, um, as I say, one of the people, and when you spoke with him, he would be so close to you and as if you were the only person there. So I thought, if he's on a bench, you could sit and have a chat with him. And, and he loved that. I mean, it was his favourite... I used to always say it was his favourite pastime, talking. <laughs> So, yeah, definitely that intimacy with Roy. Um, and you, you've got to choose then a, a sort of period of his life where you think of him, which Sean said, well, where do you want to go with this? And I said, <laughs> because I met Roy in 1980, I thought, well, maybe the 80s were a little bit too young. But I thought the 90s, 1990s, early 200s, that's where people still remember Roy. The visual. I mean, he didn't change much throughout his life, his face. But, um, yes, I, I thought sort of 1990s and, um, yeah. And, and, Sean, for you, so, so you've got the photos and, and you've got an idea of pose, but where do you go with this? Do you come up with suggestions as well? Oh yeah, it's, it's it's a collaboration, you know. We, you know, I want ev everybody to be happy with whatever's, you know. Uh, I want the public to enjoy it. It's got to be a very interactive statue. It's got to be a statue that people can, like you said, can sit next to it, mm. have their picture taken. You know, take advantage of the, you know, the social media world we live in, and and you know, and the statue will then spread via social media. This is here, and hopefully attract more people to Bury St Edmunds, and, uh, and and you know, it's just. You know, these are all the things that I've discussed with Debbie mm. and, and like I said, Captain His Character is the key thing and the pose, which is, you know, you know we're not just talking about, you know, his very, very not gap Batiste teeth, which is obviously going to be there because that is the first thing I remember when I see Roy. Yeah. And uh, his wide eyes and his excited, playful, fun, you know, way his face was. Um, that, you know, that's, that's all part of the thing that I'm going to try and capture the most just to make everybody happy. And, and process-wise, where does it go? You start by making a, a what's called a maquette, don't you? That's right, yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll make a little miniature, like a 12 or 18-inch high maquette, which is French for miniature. And, uh, and then that way you can kind of, like, get the pose right. It's not necessarily going to be an absolute likeness because that's not important at this stage. What is important is what he's going to look like in 3D from... 360 degrees all the way around and obviously when I've done that and made a little bench and sat him down um, then obviously I'll show to Debbie and I'll say Debbie what do you think and if she wants any changes um, I can change it quite easy when it's at that stage I don't want her to you know when I've got a full-size one and I've spent months of my life creating it I said well I don't really know and then change it <laughs> um, 
too late then, you know, for me. So hopefully the changes will be at, at the maquette stage. That's, that's what the maquette's really all about. And to get my head around the whole, you know, his likeness and the way he is. Yeah, it's very important. It's a very important aspect of the sculpture process. I mean, it's an expensive business. How much are you having to raise, Debbie? Uh, Just say it quickly. Yes, hundred thousand. <laughs> and and that's because there's a huge process in this, isn't it? And then at the end, you've got all this bronze as well. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, when I speak, say hundred thousand, I think I'm getting a hundred thousand, and that, that's you know that's not happening. I mean, I mean, obviously that hundred thousand includes all the groundwork, the bench you know, the, the planning applications, the forms, and all that sort of thing. That, all that goes into it. And the bronzing process is an enormously expensive process. You know, it's, you know, bronze is almost considered the precious metal now. It's, it's not far off the price of silver, even. So, you know, and it's a lot of bronze. And, you know, so, so that in itself is, is well over a third of the total cost of the statue, and that's just the bronzing before I do anything. And it's months of work for you as well, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's brilliant, you know, absolutely spot on. Can I just ask... The bronze doesn't. Does that have to be shipped over? Because or do, is, where do you we, get the bronze? Yes, yes. Well, that, I mean, the bronze foundry sort that out. I mean, I don't get it. I mean, I take <laughs> <laughs> the bronze foundry. I use a bronze foundry in the East End of London oh. uh, under the railway arches. Yeah. Um, I should imagine. The, I don't. Yeah, I suppose it must be. Some of it must be shipped from abroad. Yeah, yeah. But like I said, it's almost a precious metal now, and, and it's skyrocketed in the last ten years. Because you make you make a clay statue, don't you? Then you mould something around it, That's and right. then the bronze goes inside. I think it's is it the wax lost lost, wa lost, lost wax, wax method? method. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I nearly know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. No, it's the lost wax method, and it's a method that uh, is pretty much unchanged from the from the Romans and Greeks time. It's you know it's it's this very similar process. We've just got better uh, ingredients, if you know what I mean, mm. and processes to do it. But it's the same it's almost done in the same way as it was two, three thousand years ago. What what you need to be, I'm sure Debbie will want to be there, is when, when you actually go to the foundry and they take it off and you find <gasps> and you actually see will it be all in one piece? Because sometimes you do statues in more than one bit, don't you? No, well actually no, actually it won't be in one piece because I mean the sad thing in you know, in this great industrial nation of ours, there isn't actually a bronze foundry that can cast a figure in its entirety because nobody has a furnace big enough. So uh, he will probably be in probably three or four pieces, uh, maybe even more. Uh, but you certainly, you know, maybe when his head and shoulders come off, you know, and they chip all the ceramic off, you know, you're seeing that that's very exciting. Even the pores very exciting. You know, you get the bronze going in, into the actual mould itself and all sparks flying everywhere. And it's all very exciting. And, you know, you know, I, I love it. I still I, I, I never tire of it. I've been doing it for 20 years. And I just love the whole thing. I just you are so amazing the way you can make these statues look as if they're real people and yes. it's just such a phenomenal skill and Sir Alf Ramsey was your very first wasn't it although I don't think you admitted that at the time is that right <laughs> well absolutely I mean you're not going to get a job if you tell people oh I've never I've never done one before but I'll have a go so no of course I kind of blagged it a bit and uh, obviously I was in the film industry for so a little while before that you know I you know I've been a sculptor on films uh, Harry Potter yeah Harry Potter I was head of sculpture for Thomas the Tank Engine, obviously then James Bond, uh, currently working on, you know, House of the Dragon and things like that. So, I, you know, sculpt, when, when people say sculpture, you know, what is it? You know, one minute I'm sculpting a tiny little alien from It. Next thing I'm, you know, I might be making a spaceship or I might be sculpting, you know, a, 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 a very, very famous footballer who's nine foot high. So it's, it's, that's why I love my job. It's so, so varied and no two jobs are the same. And it's the same can be said of Roy's statue. It's just, it's unlike anybody else I've done before. 
because everybody's an individual and that's what makes you know my job so exciting and I, I love it now it's, I still get you know sometimes I still don't sleep at night because I'm excited about starting next day <laughs> I'm really looking forward to seeing because every time I was lucky enough to meet Roy several times and he always had a smile he always made me smile and I know when I get to sit on the bench next to him we'll all be smiling and he'll yes. be smiling back at us so tell me how you came to meet Debbie <clears throat> well I was a dancer a hundred years ago and I got um, a, a job dancing in the chorus for in Babes in the Wood at the Theatre Royal Nottingham. Beautiful, beautiful theatre. And it was the pantomime. And Roy was the comic. I didn't know who he was. I was stony broke at the time because by the end of the first week, I couldn't even afford to go and have lunch anywhere. You know, I was, I just, what was I? 20, I just turned 22 in the November. So, um, yeah, I was stony broken. On the Friday afternoon, this man walked into the rehearsal room with a briefcase, and I said to one of the girls, is that the man with the money? And she said, no, that's Roy Hudd, <laughs> the star of the show. Well, I didn't know. I'd been working abroad for a couple of years before that. Anyway, it turned out he was the man with the money. <laughs> but, yes, I mean, that was in the days when you had uh, Panto's we, we opened on the 15th of December and we closed on the 7th of March. So that was a very long run. And during that run, that's when love blossomed. Oh, yes. How did you end up in Suffolk? Well, we lived in Clapham, South London, for 20 years. And um, we had a little dog, Barney, at the time. And I was just taking him round the block for an evening walk, about 7 o'clock. And I saw two girls kicking one of these pay and display machines. Big mouth me. Oi, what do you think you're doing? And the next thing I was surrounded by, I don't know, about a dozen uh, kids, uh, girls, boys, black, white. And it was very, very intimidating. And I just said to them, listen, we all have to live here. All I'm saying is don't wreck the joint. We want it nice for all of us. And I walked away and um, two of the little ones, the youngest ones, came up and they spat at me in the face. And it really shook me up. And I got home and I told Roy and he said, that's it, start looking, we're moving. And that was it. And once he'd made his mind up, that was it with Roy. And we'd holidayed a lot on the Norfolk Broads. So he said, you know, we could get back to London for work and stuff. And um, so I just started looking in East Anglia. And we came across where we live now and never looked back. Mm -hmm. We loved it. Roy loved it. In fact, the, the week, Roy's last week in hospital, one of the palliative nurses came up to him and she said, introduced herself and she said, do you know why I'm here? And he said, yes, because he didn't lose his marbles or anything. And, um, and she was just doing the introductory, trying to get to know us a little bit, our personalities. And she said, where have you come from? This, that and the other. And Roy said, oh, we live in this little village and we love it. And um, he said, best move we ever made. And then he said, um, he said, now, um, you know, we do this little show, Debbie and I, where she interviews me about my, my life and my career. He said, if you need any funds raising, you know, just give us a shout and we'll, we'll be there and we'll do it. And... You know, that was the last. He, he, oh. That was on the Thursday, and he died on the Sunday. But he was he was always looking forward because that was Roy. He was he was so um, creative, but he was you got swept along yeah. with his enthusiasm and and 
that side of him and I couldn't keep up with him half the time. You know, if I was sitting in the living room, you know, and I was just looking through a magazine and Roy would walk through, I'd say, I've only just sat down. He said, <laughs> he said that's fine. He said, but and I knew he was always working. He yeah. was always creating. And, and I thought, oh, gosh, I'm just sitting here. But I had been working. <laughs> well, I know that Suffolk was very pleased that he came and that you came oh, as well. On, and I know uh, on the day of his funeral, didn't you go through the village and everyone came <gasps> out to see him? Gosh, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, the whole village came out. I, I went behind the, the hearse because I brought Roy home the night before the funeral because I always promised him I'd bring him home. And uh, it was so incredible. Um, I don't know how I could drive, actually, through the tears. Oh. And the village were just incredible. And they've been so supportive ever since. Well, as I know well. he was supportive because you always got people to come and open the village fader. Kept all those asking things. you. I know. <laughs> I'm, oh. I'm doing it on Saturday. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> We're a hundred years old this year. Wow, congratulations. <laughs> so, so this is obviously really important for you then, the statue. Oh gosh, yes, absolutely. It will be, excuse the pun, it's a benchmark, isn't it? In <laughs> it's it's something which I can give back. Not just to Roy, but to all his friends and family and, and the fans. And it's one of those things where in the future, people who didn't know Roy, I hope they, whatever it is by that time, Google him and they can see the work he did because it's part of our heritage. And Roy was a great one for... He, although I say which he was, he was always looking forward, but he's, he believed strongly that you must... Um, respect the past as well. I mean, he was president of the British Musical Society for 28 years. And those performers, he said they were brilliant. He said, yes, of course, I'm not looking through rose-tinted glasses. He said there was a lot of rubbish out there as well. He said, but there were some who were before their time. You know, he loved... Um, like um, Mari Lloyd and, and people like that, and Dan Leno, the comic. I mean, they always say that Spike Milligan was the closest to Dan Leno, and he loved Spike as well. Mm. We've got a whole shelf of books at home, all on Spike, because he adored him. Absolutely. It's, it's appropriate we do talk money, uh, because this is the Suffolk Money podcast uh, as well. And, and £100,000, can, can I dare, dare I ask how you're doing? And, and we will tell you then how you can go about donating, because there is a website, so you can yeah, take part, or you can have a coffee morning, or you can, whatever. Yes. Well, I, I wrote it on a very important piece of paper. <laughs> I looked it up this morning, went into the bank account. And at the moment, we've got £51,972.40. So you're over halfway. Just over halfway. So, um, I mean, when you think we've only been raising funds for just over a year now, literally just over a year. So as the Times, as I said earlier, they are hard for people. I think that's quite incredible. People have been so generous, and it just shows their love of Roy. And... Um, We've got a few other things hopefully happening, you know. You've got, help, you've got helpers, haven't you? Got, uh, yes, I've got uh, a chap, he's a comic, who knew Roy for, oh gosh, 25, 30 years, uh, Keith Simmons, and I've got another chap by the name of Andy Jeffrey. Now, Andy has met Sean, yeah. and he's been to Sean's studio. He came up with me a few months ago, and he designed... Well, he put together the whole brochure 
for the Sondheim show. And it's great. It's like, it's 63 pages. Um, not of adverts. Well, there are about 10, yeah. eight, 10 adverts yeah. in 63 pages. And the rest of it is people who've written in. We've got Jules Holland. We've got John Major, Norma Major, um, uh, Ken Dodd's widow. So many different people within the theatre have written pieces about their time with Roy. It's like it's more like a coffee table book, really. And I'm still selling them. And, and you can get this merchandise, oh, and we'll give the website address yes. in a minute, because that's where you can donate and get the latest news sure. about events that are happening. Absolutely. But you've also got merchandise on there as well, haven't you? I have, yes. I mean, there's still... Um, <laughs> <laughs> we've got, as I say, the lovely brochure. And we've got uh, CDs, which Roy made his musical CD. We've got the fart in the calendar, which I've was Roy... a copy he signed, which is a treasure. <laughs> <laughs> that was his autobiography. Yeah. And it, the great, I think the great thing about that is Roy was a great believer. If you're going to do something, don't just make it all I was wonderful and on this date this happened, that date that. He's put warts and all in there. And, um, you know, there were times which we went through hard times and, and he puts that in and he says I was rubbish sometimes, but then again, there were other times I wasn't so bad. <laughs> I, th I think you're mentioning as well about the different people who've written for that brochure, yes. for that programme. Yes. Just shows he touched everybody, didn't he? Whether oh, he was gosh. in Corrie, whether he was doing headlines, yes. he related to, to all people. He was the same wherever he was. Absolutely. I mean, there's a saying, you know, you can speak to dustmen or kings and Roy made no difference between the two you know what you saw with Roy was what you get and that was a great thing about him he wasn't impressed by titles or anything like that we had a few friends who were and Roy used to just say he said to their faces he said I think you're so pompous <laughs> he was OBE and I should probably have mentioned that as well but he well, wouldn't mind it yes but do you know they put him up for a gong before he got the OBE and he found out about it and he said no, because uh, he said uh, they were putting it up for his work to charity. And Roy said, no, he said, we all do work for charity, especially in show business. He said, I'm not, I don't want it for that. We should all do it. And, and you don't do charity to get something out of it. He said, you just get on with it, roll your sleeves up and do it. And he turned it down. So he stopped it in its tracks. When he got his OB this time, he got it for services to entertainment. And he said, that's a different ball game. And it was because of his um, keeping the musical um, side of things alive. It was his contribution to the theatre and plays and, well, not so much plays, but he wrote musicals. He's got a huge archive, hadn't he? He's got a huge thing, archive yeah. and he wrote lots of shows as well. Um, so, yes, when he, when he found out that it was his contribution to entertainment that's when he accepted but he was a great believer in charity I mean when he died I had to sort out as you do everything the bank accounts I found loads of um, direct debits to charities about a dozen charities I never knew he did mm. you know and he never told me but that was what Roy used to say you, you don't shout it from the rooftops you just quietly do it he said that's what true charity is we all miss him already. Sean, I mean, are you excited, nervous? How do you feel about the prospect of, of creating Roy Hope? Well, I'm never nervous, really, you know me. Uh, this is good, but... it's good. 
<laughs> no, but I'm obviously very excited. Always am. Like you said, when I get any project, but with someone as exciting as Roy, then yeah, great. You know, you know, bring it on. I just, I just love the challenge of, of, of creating a, a whole personality, not just a likeness, just you know, creating every the very essence of any mm. particular person, and what what a person to create. You know, uh, can't wait to get started. Really, how do you do it? I, I, I don't suppose you can put it into words. How do you get? Because it's one thing to do that <coughs> physical thing, but the essence that is it, isn't it? Yeah, it's well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's quite a complex thing. Like I just said, I, I have to. You know, it helps. It, you know, the first thing was meeting Roy. I mean, that's the first thing that I, that I took in, because uh, I've always already got an essence of his personality. But I I will read his autobiography. You know, I've spoken to Debbie and, and spoke to people that knew him. That's the first thing you got to. You got to suck all that up first um, before you even start looking at the photographs, really, because I've already got a very good idea of what Roy was like. And, and that's a great start. That's a really good start. I'm quite fortunate to do that because I think uh, Roy, apart from Roy and Sir Bobby Robson, uh, they're, they're, all my other statues have been from people that have died. Mm. And so I've got that advantage this time of ha- having met uh, Roy. Mm. And, and, that, and that's, that is the first thing. I and mean, that is how I go all about it, really. It's just, and then the next thing is studying the photographs and then getting his form, his skeleton, and, his, and then, you know, he's very fleshing him out. So the important question is, yeah. you do start with a naked body. Have yeah. you got your model yet? Uh, I've got somebody in mind, yeah. I've got somebody <laughs> in mind. How long are you <laughs> Not me. No, 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 it won't be Debbie and it won't be you, <laughs> I can assure you that. But it's true, isn't it? You start with the musculature and then you put the clothes on top. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the way all the statues, that's the way the Romans and the Greeks did it. So basically you always sculpt, if you can, sculpt the, the naked form first. Uh, get all the muscles in the right place, get everything working. And then when you hang the clothes on, they will all touch in the right place. They, you know, they, uh, they and they're all crease in the right place, and, and in a much easier way. If you try to sculpt a figure with the clothes on, you kind of lose where everything is. You you lose where the hip bones are. You you lose where the nipples are. You lose where everything is. Mm. Uh, but if it's already there before you put the clothes on, you know that's all going to fit and and hang correctly and nicely and neatly and and pleasingly. Yeah, I'm sure you can help find them all. <laughs> Do you know, we were talking earlier before we started this and, and Sean was saying about, the, you know, the photographs, if I can get some more photographs even of Roy from behind and things like that. And, and he was saying about the, the, getting the muscles right. I found that fascinating. It was amazing. Yeah. You don't think about that when you, when you look at a, a statue. But, you know, thank goodness for YouTube as well because you can get his movements and you might be able to yeah, see, absolutely. you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that that form in the body first is is quite but they're fascinating. Also, they're, they're also have little tricks, you know, that which I, I can share. Which is kind of like, uh, I mean, I, I could take you to see, a, a, say, a, a marble bust in the in in uh, the British Museum, mm. a completely white marble bust, and I could tell you from the way it's sculpted what colour hair they had and what colour eyes they had, and uh, and the and the way you do that is if if they've got dark hair. Uh, what they used to do is they, they would put scratches in the hair, quite a few tool marks in the hair. So when the sun came out, it created shadow on that hair and it gave the impression they were dark-haired. Now, if they were grey or blonde, they didn't put these scratches in, so they'd be kind of, like, quite smooth. And when the sun came out, no shadows were created, so therefore they've got blonde hair. And the same thing happens with eyes. So if you've got brown eyes, they would gorge out the iris very deeply, so a dark shadow was created when the sun came out. But if they had blue eyes, they just do a very narrow iris, very shallow iris, and then they've got blue eyes. And that, these are all little things that I will incorporate in the statue as well. And so people can look at it and go, oh, did you know, you know, he's great. Yeah. And, yeah, these are all little things that you kind of 
Fascinating. I'm never going to well, look I'm at a statue. <laughs> I'm going to never look at a statue the same again. I'm going to have to draw this to a close. I could be here all day. Knew it's absolutely fascinating. It Maybe really you'll is. let me back when you're sort of halfway through. <laughs> Debbie, we need the money so people can can donate. Donate is the word I was looking for. As much as they want. What's your website? It's uh, if they just Google Roy Hudd statue appeal. It all appears because I did it, it earlier. It all appears, yes, and. Um, it tells you everything. I'm quite proud of that little uh, website. It tells you, it tells you uh, it's a little introduction from me. It's got a, a mini biog of Roy and his work. It's got a, a page on Sean. It's got a page on the theatre. And then there's a donation page, which when you press the button, it will take you to the Just Giving page. And it's very, very simple. Uh, and we also have a, a shop page as well where the merchandise is. So it's the Roy Hudd Statue Appeal. That's Debbie Hudd, the widow of Roy Hudd, talking there to Leslie Dolphin, along with the incredibly talented Suffolk sculptor, Sean Hedges Quinn. And as Debbie mentioned, if you just search online for the Roy Hudd Statue Appeal, there's much more information on there and you can find out more about our podcast by going to our website at suffolkmoney.co.uk or you can look us up on Facebook or on LinkedIn and we'd love to hear from you. If there's any other businesses, entrepreneurs, charities or any other money-related stories that cross your path, then please do let us know. We'd love to have a conversation and maybe put down something for posterity, which is really what we think these recordings are all about. And also, we just want to let people know about the wonderful things that are going on in Suffolk. If you would subscribe to this podcast, and especially if you could give it a five-star rating as well, then it just ensures that um, it gets in front of other people who perhaps are looking for something similar to what you've been listening to today. So my thanks go to Leslie and uh, to the team who helped produce the podcast. That's Sally and Kevin Birch and Joy Day. And once again, thank you so much for listening. Until the next time you join us, goodbye.